This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. U.S. advances bill for quantum leadership. And Gordon Bell finalists enter Exascale era. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, This Week in HPC, some movement in the U.S. House of Representatives with a new bill tapping $1.2 billion with a B, $1.2 billion to maintain research in quantum computing to keep the U.S. at the forefront. Yeah, this is actually a, they call the National Quantum Initiative Act, and it covers quantum computing and quantum communication technology, and I think they sort of put in the category of quantum information science. So it's, uh, it's a lot of money, as you said, over a billion dollars, and it's basically going to be spent via three agencies, the DOE's Office of Science, uh, the National Science Foundation, and the National Institute of Standards and Technology, that's NIST. Um, and it's going to be split somewhat evenly, but the uh, DOE Office of Science actually is going to get about half of that, and then uh, the NSF and NIST gets uh, the other part. So this is the thing that basically wants to uh, put a little money back into the basic R&D behind quantum information science plus, and I think this is almost the more important part of it, build up a quantum information science workforce in the country as as this technology starts to make it into the commercial realm, which I, I think, as we've reported on before, it is really starting to do. And as you point out in your article on top500.org, this is really in response to similar regional or national initiatives. Last year, there was a $1.2 billion or one, uh, $1 billion euro initiative in Europe um, called the Quantum Technology Flagship. And China has an even bigger one that's about 10 times the size or almost at about $11 billion for their National Laboratory for Quantum Information Science. So there's certainly a lot of national level initiatives going on for quantum technologies. Yeah, there certainly is. And I think the, the Chinese piece of this is really the thing that maybe is pushing the U.S. government forward. I mean, they consider China obviously a, an adversary technologically, economically uh, in, in a lot of areas. So this is something that the U.S. doesn't want to lose its edge in, especially as quantum information science relates to, to military technology and to, uh, to things like cybersecurity and just intelligence in general. You know, we talk about cryptology, how that can be affected by quantum computing and how it could make a lot of the technology that's existing today with conventional digital technology obsolete. So it's something that uh, the people in the know in the government are aware of, and they, they don't want to lose that edge to China or even to our friendly alliances with Japan, UK, Canada, uh, Russia, not so much. Uh, we want to keep on top of that technology and make sure that that uh, the, US, uh, the U.S. has this in hand and wants to, like you said, keep that leadership, which I think most people would consider they have today. Yeah, this has certainly been an area of intense national interest. When I was on Capitol Hill in spring of last year uh, for the U U.S. China Economic Security Commission uh, giving testimony on the U.S. position in supercomputing vis-a-vis -vis China, the other major session right next to mine had everything to do with quantum. And uh, and there was a, an expert on quantum uh, that was sitting next to me as, as part of the overall 
uh, overall testimony, and he and I had a lot of good conversations about quantum computing, quantum networking. There's another aspect of this U.S. plan that looks almost Chinese in nature, that this is a 10-year initiative split into two five-year plans. If anyone had told me about a 10-year initiative in two five-year plans, I would have been sure it was coming out of the Chinese government. But this is one that's uh, that's starting 2019 to 2023 for the first of the five-year plans. Now, this is a House bill, of course. It's just a proposal right now. But the interesting thing, again, that you point out in your article is that this isn't necessarily any new money. It's budget reallocation within the different uh, departments or groups that are part of the initiative. Yeah, I mean, it's coming directly out of the the funds of of NIST, NSF, and and DOE. So when the Congress allocates money starting in fiscal year 2019 through the first five-year plan at least, if they if they want to fund this in a responsible way, they have to allocate more money to those agencies. Otherwise, it's just going to be stolen out of some other pot. Now, we, you and I sort of know the way Congress works. We know that's not always going to happen the way that uh, that always doesn't occur. So we'll see how this plays out. First, of course, it has to get through the Senate and then it has to be signed. But I have a pretty good feeling about that. But yeah, it is a little disconcerting to see 1.275 billion sort of um, mandated, and then no uh, no specific funding mandated to, to back that. So we'll we'll, we'll see um, how that comes about. We also say that that 1.275 billion is just for the first five years. Uh, if they want to do the the other five year option, they got to think of uh, probably more money as well. So it would come to at least twice that probably over the 10 years. This is something that to me on the surface looks like a big national initiative to promote quantum computing. And, and I get it. But I think mostly to me, and here's where I'm going to go the other way on this. Uh, this is largely a cosmetic thing. And to me, if you look at what is the stated purpose of the program and the reasons for it? I, I don't see how this really achieves any of it, right? First of all, the concept of U.S. leadership in quantum computing, which they're going to defend here. We're, we're defending our leadership position in quantum. What does that even mean for a country to lead in quantum computing here? Uh, we see companies, certainly, that are investing in quantum, you know, Google and Intel and IBM. And we think of these as American companies, although you know they're headquartered in the U.S., but they're multinational companies. So you know, I, I guess it's American companies that are investing, and they stand to get a lot of grant money here. But then why does it matter to the U.S. government to have that kind of leadership? And you ask that question, it gets to issues of national security and, and building a, a U.S. workforce, both of which sound good. But it's not clear to me how the the one is connected to the other, that you know, if a company like Google or IBM gets a competitive jump in quantum computing, that that necessarily means a U.S. workforce benefits from it and it advances the United States national security efforts. IBM is putting all this in the cloud, right? They've got a, right. a whole IBM Q cloud. Anyone can go use it. So when I look at the stated purpose and reasons for the program, I look at what does that even mean and what are we achieving here? Yeah, I know that's a fair point. I mean, like you said, most of these, most of the big companies, at least working on quantum computing commercialization are multinational and that 
that technology is going to float in and out of this country. I, I think a lot of this is about uh, the military applications, the intelligence and cybersecurity, things that maybe these commercial companies aren't going to be so concerned about it. I mean, especially when you consider something like quantum communication technology. I don't know if uh, we don't, we don't uh, hear about it that much. I mean, quantum communication is sort of a more uh, national infrastructure type of thing or more uh, uh, an intelligence type of operation. That sort of technology, I think, is not being worked on. And, and the workforce development to sort of support that and even to support the companies that, that we just talked about and, and having that intellectual property sort of being funded in inside the U.S. I think is important as well. It's not really clear in the sense that we retain, retain leadership like it's a thing that's not fungible and, and is leaking out into other countries. But I think there's certain uh, elements that are important to the government that they want to keep in the national borders. And it, it's it's not something that's really spelled out in the bill. Uh, explicitly, except when they mention things like about, you know, security, intelligence, and and military applications. But yeah, some of this funding is just going to go to the the companies we just mentioned, Google and IBM, Intel, and the others on federal contracts that are going to help uh, the federal government sort of uh, push this research and development forward. So in that sense, those companies like it. But yeah, it. It's something that might have happened as as well if those uh, companies had left been left to their own devices, albeit maybe at a somewhat slower pace. Well, one aspect of this I can get behind is the notion of, in as much as this is an open economy, if if you saw leadership coming out of China as more closed economy and with the government funded capitalism they have there, the notion that if it were a Chinese company that or Chinese uh, research that were really at the forefront of quantum computing, that then the technology might not escape China and it would be something that Americans wouldn't have access to. Right. So this right. is a way of ensuring that American uh, agencies, companies, workforce have access to the technology and don't fall behind. That would be the notion that, that I think uh, is, is being put forward here. Yeah. And certainly, you know, specific things like if China had the technology and they could break cryptology codes that that now would sort of uh, make the make the conventional technology obsolete that that would have a huge effect on national security in this country and in the and in the security of our allies so uh, there's certain critical elements that that they're sort of hidden in the details here that that are important but yeah i, I think we'll see a lot of these initiatives i mean we'll see the same thing happening in ai and things like that where the it's so uh, the technology is is seen as so all encompassing that it leaks out into into national interests that go over and above what the commercial uh, vendors are doing for for their potential customers. Meanwhile, in the conventional supercomputing race, also this week in HPC, Michael, one other quick story. The Gordon Bell finalists for this year's Gordon Bell Award in supercomputing achievement are now out there, and one of them in particular. Uh, we talked about before is the Comet application for genomics analytics on the Summit supercomputer. They've improved the performance of that since the last time we talked about it and are now at 2.36 exaops of performance and are claiming this exascale application is one of the forerunners uh, for the, as a possibility to take home Gordon Bell this year. 
Right. I think one of the more interesting aspects to this is that they're using the tensor cores on the NVIDIA V100 GPUs. Now, those tensor cores, as we've talked about before, is for accelerating deep learning applications, these neural network models that uh, you, that can be trained and then and then used to, to do all sorts of interesting uh, analytics. But here, it's actually being used on a more conventional HPC code, uh, comparative genomics code, and they're just using some of the reduced precision via these tensor cores to get this level of performance. Uh, um, it's, it's, like you said, it's over two exaops, and it's not like the throughput is... is um, you know, I think it, well, it's, it's like 25, I think it's 25 times more than they got on Titan, which was the other, which was the other flagship supercomputer at Oak Ridge National Lab before Summit came on there. So they're getting a lot more performance from uh, this application they got before. And just because they were able to sort of leverage these tensor cores that were actually built for something else. So that's, that's quite interesting. I think, I mean, between you and me, I think it's an inside favorite to actually win the Gordon Bell Prize because it's such an innovative use of the hardware, notwithstanding the fact that they've they've broken to exa exascale territory, so to speak. Yeah, I, well, we can put a pin in the entire exascale debate. As you know, I've been skeptical about this uh, redefinition of the term exascale, but we're not going to settle that on a right. podcast. The more interesting thing to me here is that five out of the six finalists for the Gordon Bell Award have been using this Summit supercomputer. One used both Summit and Sierra. So this right. is really the architecture of choice that we're looking at for uh, for the award this year. Yeah, we should mention one of those other finalists also made it into uh, exa-op territory. That actually was a deep learning code and was used to identify extreme weather patterns from uh, from climate simulations. That made it to 1.13 exa-ops with the deep learning because that was another interesting uh, breaking of sort of this exascale barrier. But the rest were, uh, some others were machine learning, but some were, I think were just straight up simulations. But they're all using the Summit supercomputer and those GPUs um, for for this in, in either Summit or like you said, Sierra. And obviously those were, those are now attracting a lot of the big codes because they have so much computing power. So not really surprised that the Gordon Bell finalists are, uh, are are running their applications on these um, on these machines. We'll have a chance to revisit this story one more time in two months' time at the supercomputing right. uh, show when the Gordon Bell Award will come out. That'll be part of our uh, SC total recap. Yeah, that sounds good. That's just two months away, and yeah, we'll we'll see who uh, who gets the prize at that point. All right, Michael, thanks a lot for two more interesting stories, and thanks for you, to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.